0: Uh, Would you please turn with me to your study outlines, and as you turn, let me welcome those of you that are joining us online every week. Hundreds of people join us online from different places in the country, even different places around the world. And so we welcome you as we study God's Word. We'd also like to welcome our friends from Arco, Idaho, as well as Kalispell, Montana. We are so glad that you're joining us today for our study of God's Word. We're going to start a new series uh, to begin the new year. We often do this in January, called vision. Who we are and where we are going. And the reason we do this from time to time is because vision leaks, doesn't it? Uh, You find that at work. You find that um, in your family life. You find that in your personal life. We find that at church. Uh, You'll find that in an organization, maybe, that you're a part of. Vision leaks. We get all excited and say, this is the way we should go, but over time, that uh, fervor uh, fades away, and we lose our way, and we lose our vision. So every once in a while, we like to go back to what Purpose Church is all about, who we are, and where we are going in 2017. And I'm going to give a few examples uh, this morning, and I think you'll agree with me. Uh, 2017 might be the most exciting year in the 147-year history of our church. It's going to be an unbelievable year. It is starting out today in an unbelievable way, and we're going to have such a great year ahead of us. Now, our purpose statement, which is everyone everywhere following Jesus, that is based on what's called the Great Commission, the last uh, purpose statement, mission statement Jesus gave to the disciples just before he went to heaven. Uh, Matthew 28, verse 19. Jesus said, therefore go and make disciples, not just converts, but disciples. Now it starts with conversion. And if you're here today and you've never committed your life to Christ, right there in front of you in the book rack, you'll see something that says Resources. And there's three steps there in opening your heart to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And then you'll see on there as as well a little prayer, a little suggested prayer. And if you could pray that prayer or a prayer from your heart today to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, you become a follower of Jesus. But it's more than that. It is to be a disciple. A disciple is somebody who subscribes to the teachings of a master, in our case Jesus, and assists in spreading that teaching to other people. Uh, So it's not just a conversion, but it starts with conversion. We commit our lives to Christ. Now we grow in discipleship of all nations, The next step is baptism. We show outwardly that we've made an inward decision to follow Jesus by being baptized. And if you've never been baptized, to show that publicly. uh, I'd love to share what the Bible says about that next Sunday at our starting point class. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Now some people think that deep teaching is where you use a lot of Greek and Hebrew words and, and it's, it's really complicated and hard to understand and that can be deep teaching, but that's not the biblical definition of, of deep teaching. The biblical definition of teeping, teaching that is deep is teaching which is obeyed. When we obey, that's what makes it deep teaching, okay? So you can have the simplest message in the world and if people act on it, that's deep teaching. Uh, You can have a complex message, and if people act on it, that's deep teaching. But you can have a a fancy, deep, uh, so-called, with a lot of obscurity and hard to understand, hard to follow, and if nobody obeys it, that's not deep teaching. Deep teaching is teaching when you obey in response to it. To obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And then in Luke 9, uh, Jesus said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. And then uh, there comes conversion, uh, followed by discipleship and baptism. Uh, Then we uh, grow in the teaching of Christ and obeying it and learning to obey it. And then God gives us a higher purpose uh, for being alive. He gives us a reason, uh, an assignment that's unique to anybody else's assignment. There's nobody like you with that assignment to change your world for Christ. Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and to follow me. And then Matthew 4 18, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And the Bible says, At once they left their nets and they followed him. Today, there are almost 2.5 billion followers of Jesus. Almost a third of the world's 7.5 billion people. As I've said many times, it launched the greatest movement in world history, the fastest growing, the largest, the most pervasive into every nook and cranny of the world, every, every corner, every culture. Only Christianity has at least some followers in all 238 countries. Uh, There are followers of Christ in 11,500 of the 12,600 hundred ethno-linguistic groups in the world. Uh, Christians speak 12,500 of the 13,500 of the world's languages. Now many times we think, oh, it would have been so cool to be back then when the church was just exploding. No, 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 no. These are the good old days. These are the most exciting times. Let me demonstrate what I'm talking about. Notice the acceleration here. In 100 AD, there were 360 non-Christians for every Christian. In 1,000 AD, there were 220 non-Christians for every Christian. In 1500 AD, there were 69 non-Christians for every Christian. In 1900, uh, there were 29 non-Christians for every Christian. In 1980, there were 11 non-Christians for every Christian. In 1989, there were seven non-Christians for every Christian. And in 2016, there were two non-Christians for every Christian. Do you see the acceleration of the growth of the church that's happening around the world? These are the good old days. Now, lest we celebrate prematurely, there are still five billion people yet to be reached. We've got a lot of work to do. Does anybody want to say amen to that? A lot of work to do before Jesus comes back. That's why our purpose statement as a church is everyone, everywhere following Jesus. Now, I want to take those four words and work through another obscure Old Testament story. I didn't, I didn't mean it to work out this way, but January is ending up being obscure Old Testament story month, uh, one after the other. January 1st, I taught on Josiah, uh, finding the Bible in the rubble of the ruins of the temple. Uh, last Sunday, I talked about Elisha and the Bears, by the way, after the 945 service. Uh, I don't know if there are any Chicago Bears fans here. They're the arch rival of the Green Bay Packers. Uh, one guy told me a joke, a Bears joke, uh, how do you keep bears out of your backyard if you have a bear problem? Some of you up in the foothills may want to listen to this. How do you keep bears out of your backyard? You put up goal posts in the backyard, and the bears will stay away. That That is that is so mean, but I, uh, I should not have told that. So, at any rate, uh, we've got another Elisha story, all right? Elisha is what we call a Christ figure, a picture of Jesus. B.C., 800 B.C., he's a picture of Jesus. But the prophet Elisha is not the star of this story. The star of this story are going to be four very, very unlikely men. So let's dig in now. First of all, everyone, everyone, everywhere following Jesus. Let's emphasize everyone. Uh, First of all, in verse 24. Sometime later, ben Hadad, king of Aram, mobilized his entire army and marched up and laid siege to Samaria. So Aram is what is today the nation of Syria. Samaria was the capital of the northern part of Israel called Israel. Jerusalem was capital of the southern part called Judah. There was a great famine in the city because of this siege that happened. They wouldn't allow any food to come in. The siege lasted so long that a donkey's head sold for 80 shekels of silver. Not much meat on a donkey's head. So they buy it and they boil it and somehow make soup out of it. And a quarter of a cab of seed pods for five shekels. Now this is, now we get to the most uncomfortable, uh, troubling, uh, one of the more depressing stories in the Bible. Look how great this famine was. As the king, uh, um, oh, I'm so sorry. Back, back to uh, verse, oh yeah, here it is. As the king of Israel was passing by on the wall. A woman cried to him, help me, my lord the king. Okay. The king replied, if the Lord does not help you, where can I get help for you? From the threshing floor, from the wine press? And here's what happens. Then he asked her, what's the matter? She answered, this woman said to me, give up your son so we may eat him today and tomorrow we'll eat my son. So we cooked my son and ate him. The next day I said to her, Give up your son so we may eat him. But she had hidden him. That's how great the famine was within the land. When the king heard the woman's words, he tore his robes. As he went along the wall, the people looked, and they saw that under his robes he had sackcloth on his body. He said, May God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if the head of Elisha, that's the prophet, son of Shaphat, remains on his shoulder today. Now let's just pause for a moment. Isn't it interesting that this whole famine, this whole siege, was a judgment on the king because of his wrongdoing, because of his idolatry, and what he had led the people into doing as well? But isn't it interesting that when we get into trouble, that we've brought on ourselves, we shake our fist at God and say, it's your fault. And we've been doing this ever since the human race uh, began. Uh, God didn't make us robots. He wanted children, not robots, that were not programmed to do good, but could choose to, to love, could choose to do good. It's not real love if there's not a choice involved. I mentioned last Sunday a true story about how when I asked Kimberly's dad if I could marry her, he had a shotgun in his hand. And then I explained that it was deer hunting. But I'll tell you this if the shotgun had been pointed at me, it wouldn't have been love. But because the shotgun wasn't pointed at me, it was a choice of mine. It was true love. And the same thing, God created us that way uh, so that we could have a choice. And so we make bad choices. We bring uh, evil and the wrongdoing and, and disaster upon ourselves. And then we have the audacity to shake our fist at God and say, it's all your fault. Okay, next verse, verse 32. Now, Elisha was sitting in his house, and the elders were sitting with him. The king sent a messenger ahead, but before he arrived, Elisha said to the elders, don't you see how this murderer is sending someone to cut off my head? Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold it shut against him. Is not the sound of his master's footsteps behind him. While he was still talking to them, the messenger came down to him. The king said, this disaster is from the Lord. No, it was from him and it was from the people, but he blames God. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? Then chapter 7, verse 1. Elisha replied, Hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. About this time tomorrow, a seah of the finest flour will sell for a shekel and two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Uh, the officer on whose arm the king was leaning said to the man of God, Look, even if the Lord should open the floodgates of heaven, could this happen? You will see it with your own eyes, answered Elisha but will not eat any of it. Now I'm not going to take the time for the last four verses of chapter 7, but you can either look ahead now or look at it later to find out what happened for his lack of faith. Okay, verse 3. Now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. Let's pause here for a while. Everyone, everywhere following Jesus. And who ends up being the hero of this story? Four lepers. Now, leprosy is symbolic of sin in the Bible. It was a real disease, a contagious disease that made the people that had it an outcast from everybody else. But along with that, it's symbolic of sin in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. So it's symbolic of sin. But along with that, it was a real disease that caused the person with the disease to be an outcast. So because the Bible talks about lepers so much in the Old Testament and New Testament, every time the Bible talks about it, it is a signal to us that Jesus Is for everyone, even the lepers. If Jesus is for the lepers, then Jesus is for me. Christianity is the most inclusive faith across all cultures. It is the most inclusive. It is for everyone. You have a religion like Islam, for example. And Islam, in order to follow the faith of Islam, you also have to adopt some cultural uh, traits from 600 A.D., the Arabian Peninsula. You have to also, along with the faith, part of the faith is that you have to become culturally um, like a person from the Arabian Peninsula in the 7th century A.D. And that's why Islam tends to be limited to certain geographical locations. But the reason why Christianity is is transcultural and it is in every culture of the world, every nook and cranny of the world, is because it is the most inclusive faith and it is for everyone. It's for everyone. Um, Now, uh, you've uh, heard me say um, many times that uh, Christianity is where to be a hospital for sinners, our church, and not a museum for saints. And that's true for people within the culture, but it is also true how it is inclusive of all the cultures. Now, I've got an exciting thing to announce today is it starting today, right after this service, at 11 right after this service is over, over in the H building, about 100 yards that direction, you can read more information on the other side of your, of your study outline, we are today launching an Arabic-speaking Christian worship service. How awesome is that? Um, we, are, we are now in four different languages, obviously English and Spanish, uh, the Karen Fellowship meets once a month, and that is in the language of Myanmar or Burma. And now every week in the H building, we're going to have an Arabic-speaking uh, Christian worship service with a fabulous, fabulous pastor. And it is going to be a great, great uh, ministry uh, out of our church and church within a church here as, as part of uh, Purpose Church. And I'm just telling you, now you got a new thing, that when you talk Uh, to one of your friends that's Arabic, or if you make a friend at work that's Arabic speaking, now you have some place to invite them to and to let them know that when we say everyone everywhere following Jesus, we mean everyone, including those that speak uh, Arabic. What an absolute thrill. But then in addition to across all the cultures, transcultural, within the culture, it's for everybody. From the most poor to the most rich and everybody in between. Uh, who are the lepers today? Uh, maybe ask yourself that question. Who who are the people with leprosy today? Who are the marginalized uh, today? And I'm sure you could come up uh, with some ideas. Um, and we build our ministries of our church around the lepers of today, around the most marginalized of today. Let me give you a few examples, uh, because we believe that the lepers of today might be the homeless. That's why we have homeless ministries and homeless dinners and homeless outreach uh, because we believe that those caught in the grip of poverty are some of the lepers of today. Uh, That's why uh, we have the largest food ministry in this area and the largest clothing ministry in this area and the largest uh, furniture ministry in this area because we believe that victims of human trafficking that walk along Holt Boulevard that we see all the time. We can even see them from our windows of our administration building as we have meetings with the pastors. You can look out and see these young women that are victims of human trafficking. That's why we've built everyone free uh, against human trafficking and a human trafficking, anti-human trafficking ministry. That's why the men will be standing against it tomorrow night on the corner of Holt and, and Gary. And so you see, we build our ministries around the marginalized of today. Because in God's eyes, we are all lepers. We are all, there's only one category, and that is sinners. And there's only one solution, and His name is Jesus. message of Dr. King and uh, his, based his message on the message of Jesus is that there's only one type of person in the human race, and that is a sinner. And there's only one solution, And that solution is Jesus. On New Year's Eve, I taught on uh, Psalm 103 at our New Year's Eve service and uh, uh, I stole Pastor Shom's globe. I'm always forgetting my globe at home but you know you can steal it from the office of Pastor Sham because if the global impact pastor doesn't have a globe, we're in real trouble. So, uh, Sham always has it. And I, I have the keys to all the pastor's offices so I can go in after hours and go through their trash can and uh, look through their files and stuff. I can keep a file, like an FBI file, on each one of them, you know. So, so anyway, I go into Pastor Sham. So, Pastor Sham, if you're wondering where your globe is, uh, here it is. Okay. But it's very interesting in Psalm 103 when David's writing about how Jesus, how God just forgives our sin, and He separates us and says, "As far as the heavens are high above the earth, and as far as the east is from the west." Now, when David said that in his humanity, he didn't understand how far he was really talking about. but the Holy Spirit who inspired him to write it, knew that the heavens are really high. He thought that was pretty high, but now we know that it, what billions of light years from edge to edge of the universe. And so when we say that he removes our sins from us as high as the heavens are above the earth, that's really, really far. But then it even goes beyond that. He says as far as the east is from the west. Now notice the Holy Spirit didn't lead him to say as far as the north is from the south. Okay, even though David wouldn't have known any difference, the Holy Spirit knew the difference, okay? And so it inspired him to say from the east to the west. Because realize if he said north is as far as the north is from the south, That would be thousands of miles, but it wouldn't be that far as far as east to the west. You see, when you're on a globe and you start going from the North Pole, south, 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 and that's thousands of miles, south, 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 what eventually happens? You start going where? North. The south, if he removed our sins as far as the north is from the south, this is how far it would be, and that's a long ways, but it's better than that. He says he removed them, As far as the east is from the west. And when you go east, you go on and on and on for eternity and infinity. So even higher than the heavens are above the earth, which is the edge of the known universe. Even beyond that, he says, not north and south, which is thousands of miles. He said, as far as the east is from the west. In other words, our condition is sin But our Savior, Jesus, is our solution, and he removes them from us infinitely, never to return. Does anybody want to say amen to that? Oh, my goodness. Okay, so everyone. Now let's go to everywhere. Let's pick it back up with verse 3 once again. Now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. They said to each other, why stay here until we die? okay? If we say we'll go into the city, the famine is there, and we will die. And if we stay here, we will die. So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. If they spare us, we live. If they kill us, then we die. Basically, they want to take a Hail Mary pass, okay? Which means a long shot, unless Aaron Rodgers is throwing the Hail Mary pass. Oh, yes. Okay. You can look that up if you're not a Green Bay fan and see what I'm talking about. Okay. At dusk, they got out And went to the camp of the Arameans. When they reached the edge of the camp, no one was there. What happened? The Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army so that they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents and their horses and donkeys. They left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. The men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp, entered one of the tents, and ate and drank. Then they took silver, gold, and clothes, and went off and hid them. They returned and entered another tent and took some things from it and hid them also. Now here's the most important verse. Verse 9, and even more important is going to be verse 10. Then they said to each other, What we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news and we are keeping it to ourselves. This is a day of good news, and we are keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. Now, let's just pause um, for just a moment. There are three types of Christians and three types of churches that are represented in this story. One type of Christian and one type of church just keeps gorging on the good stuff of God, and it never occurs to them that there's a starving city that they should go share the news with. Okay? That's one type of church, one type of, of uh, Christ follower. Then there's a second type that we find here in verse 9 that says to each other, What we're doing is not right. And so they put it in their mission statement, put it in their purpose statement, put it in their church constitution. Everybody agrees, We ought to do something about that. Yes. Uh, Jesus told us to reach the lost, but they never get around to going outside of their comfort zone to do anything to actually change things in order to more effectively reach the lost. Praise God. I am so grateful that I get to serve and lead a third type of church and a group of Christ followers who are of a third type of Christ follower. It's in the first three words of verse 10. So they went. Didn't ignore it. Didn't say there's a problem and not do anything about it. So they went. And if we could leave this verse up here for just a moment. By the grace of God, we have become, because of your commitment to the cause of Christ, a so they went kind of church. And that's why God's blessing has been on us. And by the grace of God, we will continue to be a so-they-went church until the other five billion are reached or until Jesus returns, whichever one comes first. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Uh, I was just looking at some statistics uh, just a couple of days ago, just got in some year-end reports. And uh, a couple of years ago, very, you know, somewhat painful process to go through to change our name, to reach lost people, Uh, to Purpose Church. And and that was a painful process. And we have seen the fruits of that. I mean, boy, last Sunday, the children's facilities are just bursting with children. Um, Youth ministries growing up a storm. Young adults growing within our church. That number has been growing. We have seen spectacular results, and we just praise God for that. But you know what happens when you're a so-they-went kind of church? God begins to bless you in other ways as well. And I looked at the stats and I was just struck by it, never seen it before, that in the two years prior to us changing our name, our offering giving was completely flat, no growth for two years. And as soon as we took that step to reach the lost, to become a so they went or to continue to be a so they went kind of church, it jumped almost 12 by 12 percent from flat, flat, flat 11.8, 11.8, boom, just burst out. And I looked at that and I said, God, your blessing falls on a so they went kind of church. Today, because we believe everyone, everywhere should be following Jesus, today, even as I speak, we are launching a campus in Claremont on the 210 freeway at one of the exits. Because we believe that everyone, everywhere Includes not just people along the 10 Freeway Corridor, but along the 210 as well. One church, two locations. It's just like adding another worship service. Pastor Brian will still be preaching here sometimes. I will be preaching there sometimes. It's just like adding, it's the same as when we went, added the 1111 service after the 830 and 945 service. Exact same thing, just like adding another service, a same church, one church, now in multiple locations. Why? Why? Because so we can continue to be a so they went kind of church this afternoon. Uh, pastor Eric, our high school pastor Eric Holmstrom, is convening a group of leaders to spend the afternoon uh, strategizing how we can more effectively reach high schoolers for Christ and, and boy, we 've had tremendous Pastor Eric has just the group has exploded under his leadership, but he said, there are still so many unreached. What can we do? And so we're going to spend the afternoon strategizing that. And I want you to know how passionate I am because I am missing the Green Bay packers Dallas Cowboys games in order to do this. So I think God was testing my commitment to this whole thing, okay? Uh, do you really want to be a so-they-went kind of church? Uh, next Sunday night, as uh, Adrian talked about, Um, young adults, boy, we need your input. It's going to be a dialogue. It's not going to be a one-way street. It's going to be a dialogue of what can we better do to reach your generation for Christ. And I had to just laugh because when the young adults wanted to have a brainstorming session, what building do they pick? The bus barn. The bus barn. That thing is due for God's destruction is what the bus barn is for. And when they wanted to come up with a place, they said, oh, that place is so totally cool. And I'm like, that place is so totally a dump is what it is, you know. But that's where it's going to be, in the barn, the bus barn. Next Sunday night, young adults, boy, we'd love to have you there because we need your input. It can't just be a bunch of older leaders figuring this out. We need to hear what you have to say uh, next Sunday night. Uh, You know, I was doing a little bit of what I call pastor math a couple of days ago. Uh, Just literally, or just yesterday. And I literally just took a couple minutes. Didn't, didn't take long, didn't research it, didn't remember. I'm probably missing a bunch of things that I just didn't think about. But I added up all the churches and all the Christians that are worshiping Jesus today as a result of these categories. Our own church, churches that we have planted, uh, churches that are led by pastors that came to Christ at our church, uh, pastor, churches that are led by pastors that were on staff during my time the last few years, uh, here at our church, and you know that today there are 30,000 people worshiping Jesus in one of those categories. Now, if you multiply it by their oikos, the 8 to 15, the 15 uh, Greek word for household and their area of influence, that means that half a million Americans have contact, direct contact with somebody connected with Purpose Church. That is, that is one in every 600 Americans. Uh, we're talking a half a million people from as far east as Indiana, as far west and south as California, and as far north as Montana and Idaho. Why? Because we are a so-they-went church. That's our vision. That's what God has called us to. And so because of that, we believe everyone, everywhere following Jesus. Does anybody want to say amen to that? Amen. Now let's go back to verse 10. Here it is. So they went. And called out to the city gatekeepers and told them, We went into the Aramean camp and no one was there, not a sound of anyone, only tethered horses and donkeys. And the tents left just as they were. Verse 11. The gatekeepers shouted the news and it was reported within the palace. Verse 12. The king got up in the night and said to his officers, I'll tell you what, uh, they're tricking us is basically what that verse is saying. Verse 13. We can go on. Verse 13. One of his officers answered, have some men take five of the horses that are left. Have them go out and check this thing out. And it says in the next verse, let's go to verse 14, they selected two chariots. They went, they commanded them, go and find out what has happened. Verse 15, they followed them as far as the Jordan and they found the whole road strewn with clothing and equipment that they had thrown away in their headlong flight. So the messengers returned and reported it to the king. Verse 16 Then the people went out and plundered the camp of the Arabians. So a sayah of the finest flour sold for a shekel and two sayahs of barley sold for a shekel as the Lord had said. Everyone, everywhere, now going out to follow Jesus. One leper telling another leper where to find food. One beggar telling another beggar where to find food. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. In verses 66 and 69, uh, it says that many of the followers uh, from this time, many of the disciples turned back and no longer followed Jesus. So Jesus turns to the 12 he says, Do you not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have this precious treasure that we say we do not well if we keep it to ourselves. And then we went. So they went. We actually do something about it. am going to ask the praise team to come back up for a closing song. And as they do that, I want to tell you that if you've never filled out one of these oikos cards, we, we challenge on these all the time. Uh, the 8 to 15 in your sphere of influence God's assignment to you and to me is to go to heaven and take our oikos with us. And if everybody goes to heaven and takes their oikos with them, the world will be won for Christ. The other five billion will be reached um, uh, before Jesus returns. And, and, and so if everybody does this, the world will be won. We each have an equal assignment. Who's your oikos? Who's your 8 to 15? And if you've never got a hold of one of these cards, there's a display by the east doors and, and you pick up one of these oikos cards and you list those out and then you begin to pray for those 8 to 15. You begin to say, God, could you use me in 2017 in order to uh, reach these people that you have strategically placed in my sphere of influence, everybody, everywhere following Jesus. And if we each take on the assignment of going to heaven and taking our oikos uh, with us, we will fulfill Christ's great commission and we will fulfill the purpose of Purpose Church, the mission of Purpose Church. Everyone, everywhere following Jesus. This he has called us to do until he returns. And all God's family said, amen. Hey, let's stand up. Let's worship for a few more minutes.